Sunday, August 25th, 2019. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at MTI, Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Good morning, Peter. Hi. Hello. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at foulspotphoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, we really are at the end of the summer and wrapping up. And which one of you threw the uh, switch for fall? Because we woke up this morning to a nice, cool, brisk breeze. <laughs> Even it was cold. Wonderful. <laughs> I, yesterday morning, I think. Yeah. I had yeah. to actually put on a sweatshirt to go for my morning walk down to the beach. Uh, wow. It was really, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, a bit chilly, and I was yeah, down I there with my cup of coffee and seeing all the other folks walking on the beach as well, and with and all that acknowledging, head nodding to each other to say, "Hey, it's a little bit colder than normal, isn't it now?" So, <laughs> well, I was walking uh, yesterday, minding my own business in my neighborhood, and I saw a sign up at Forty Seventh Street and Ninth uh, Avenue that the boys in the band is going to be filming on that yeah. block. On- Day, mm-hmm. on monday and yeah. they've been filming uh you know around the city for All the location the scenes which i guess like the original movie are going to be at the at the beginning mm-hmm. of the of the film uh, you know before it all sets, settles down into the one apartment so yeah our friend Craig Brockman is. Uh, they are filming Boys in the Band in his lobby in uh, in Manhattan oh. and uh you know, uh, seeing boys in the band around these parts uh, just feels like a rinse and repeat, doesn't it, Peter? <laughs> well, and, 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 and also, yeah, I realized that was a segue, but also, also West Side Story. Yeah, West Side another, Story is filming another around. Rinse yeah. and repeat, another rinse and another repeat. Another rinse and repeat. And it will in be... the Heights, not, not a rinse and repeat, but a, a, a new wash, a new wash. <laughs> <laughs> so, Peter, you got a chance to see Rinse and Repeat. Why don't you tell us about this show? Well, this is a play by um, a, a young woman. I mean, really young. Um, she was just graduated from uh, NYU, and um, she decided to write a play about anorexia. And also she stars in it as well. And I uh, think it's a very exciting first effort. Uh, First off, this is a subject that should be addressed, as she points out in her notes in the 
program. Uh, this is a subject we don't see much about on stage, and it's really um, an important issue that certainly uh, affects a great number of um, well, mostly women, of course, in our society. So um, I do believe that this was worth uh, spending some time with. And the uh, girl she plays here, Rachel, is somebody who's very accomplished academically, um, has been to Yale, has uh, an average, uh, if not 4.0, certainly circling around that. And uh, so everything should be great. But uh, the problem is that um, she just will not eat. And one of the most effective scenes in the play occurs when she decides to weigh herself. And she strips down to her bra, panties, and socks. And after she weighs herself, she's not happy with the result. And she takes off the bra, panty, and socks, figuring that she might be able to lose a few ounces on the scale that way. This really does show very aptly how obsessed she is with her weight, thinking that that's going to make a difference. But she'll take any difference that she possibly can. How serious is this condition? Well, she's actually been in a facility. They actually had to take her away and uh, put her in a facility and uh, where she's trying to get back. Um, she hasn't had her period in a long, long time. And, of course, um, she's been driving her parents crazy because she just won't eat. Now, we do get to see the parents. And what's really um, fun, I guess I should say, because it's a very different role than we than we think of Michael Hayden in, because most of us still think of Michael Hayden as Billy Bigelow in the carousel in 1994. Uh, here he is playing a concerned father, and um, Florencia Lozano plays the concerned mother. Uh, the mother has a great deal to do with the girl's condition, we find out. But um, what I think it's really very effective when we see the um, social worker who, um, who works um, with Rachel, that she's, um, you know, a, a lot of these people take a lot of heat for not being able to do much, but this woman really is very, very nice and very centered and very concerned and I think always says the right things. She's played by an actress who simply uses the name Portia. That's it. And um, But a wonderful performance. They're all wonderful performances. I'll admit that the play occasionally veers off and you get a little bored from time to time. But good Lord, for someone so young who wrote a part for herself and knew exactly what she wanted to do there, I think this is a very exciting debut. And I really look forward to many, many, many more plays and many, many more performances, for that matter, from Domenica Ferro. Good luck to her. Good luck to all of us. So uh, Rinse and Repeat just wrapped up uh, after an extension at Signature Center, so you will have missed it unless uh, it comes back another in, in some other form. I hope it does. I hope it does. Um, you know, and, and the other thing, too, um, I should point out that uh, even though it was its signature, it was not a signature production. They simply yes. rented the space. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's made very clear in the title page of the program. But ironically, to me, it seems like a play the signature would do uh, <laughs> if indeed it were by an author that they were um, who was more famous. So maybe the day will come when Domenica will be represented as signature for real with four or five plays. I hope so. Uh, you started to talk about Michael Hayden and uh, his, uh, you know, we know we think of him as Billy Bigelow. And wasn't Billy Bigelow a concerned father as well? 
<laughs> I think he uh, was concerned about being a father. Mm. Uh, <laughs> uh, certainly uh, in the greatest piece of uh, show music ever, uh, the soliloquy. But uh, yeah, I, he, he certainly was a concerned father um, uh, after the fact. Um, he didn't have much of a chance to know his daughter, but uh, he did the best he could, which at times wasn't so good, but um, you can appreciate the girl being nervous about being confronted by this guy too. But anyway. <laughs> so uh, on the strength of uh, last week's review, uh, Michael headed out to the Westside Theater to see Date Me, an OK Cupid experiment at the Westside Theater downstairs. Uh, so Michael, what was your experience in Date Me? Yeah, I thank Peter for the recommendation because I probably would have missed it. Uh, you know, you just can't see everything. Uh, but yes, I really enjoyed this show uh, created by Robin Lynn Norris. Uh, th this is the billing created by Robin Lynn Norris, written by Robin Lynn Norris, Bob Ladewig, and Frank Coeffi. And also directed and choreographed by Lauren Lataro, who's someone uh, someone whose work I've really come to enjoy over the recent years. So that that all sounded good. And the the uh, the gimmick here, <laughs> the subject matter, as Peter said, is uh, it's an ex exploration of the online dating uh, phenomenon. Which I, I tell you, I may have mentioned before that both of my uh, my brother and my sister. They both found their spouses through uh, online dating years ago, I, I would say probably in the early years of it. Uh, but did I ever try it? No. So that was probably a There's still time. <laughs> mistake on my face. I might yeah, add that uh, I found both my wives through online dating. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good to know. Now we have it for the record. Anyway. <laughs> um <laughs> and uh yeah it's you know lots of interesting figures and and this this exploration of how people behave uh in setting up their profiles etc uh as peter mentioned this is a very very interactive show when you when you're sitting there before uh you know there were projections asking you to to download the app and 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 set up a profile for yourself and um you may well be called up on stage to participate uh, of course not if you don't want to uh, but there are there are always, um, you know, some people who are willing to participate. And uh, the uh, actually, I, I did not like the um, I did not love the scripted parts of the show so much. But the improv sections, which are a very, very large percentage of it, I just thought were fantastic. This cast, I, I'm always in awe of people who can do improv, you know. Uh, you know how we're in awe of people who can do things we cannot do at all? <laughs> this is one of those – I just don't know how they do it. Um, and, for example, uh, they they call up um, people and they ask them questions. And you can see that one of the cast is writing notes on a uh, – actually on a – like a, on an easel over to the, the side. But uh, but then I don't know. I guess then, then the other people go and refer – to that list, uh, but without obviously doing it, and 
I it's it, I don't know how they they must have some structures in uh, you know set ahead of time for the for the skits uh, some basic structures and then they plug in the the words and stuff but it's still it it must be very very difficult and especially to come up with something so amusing and so funny so I do um, uh, uh, you know uh, uh, Peter mentioned them sure last week but I want to give a shout out to the all of the cast it's Chris Alvarado. Caitlin Black, Jonathan Gregg, Eric Lockley, Megan Sakura, Liz um, Wissan, Jillian Gottlieb, and Jonathan Wagner. And also um, a big shout out to someone who is billed as uh, projections and conic inter excuse me projections and interconnectivity design, and his name is Sam Haynes. Uh, because there is so much in 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 terms of that in this show, uh, I would say constant projections of one kind or another, and uh, just the the you know the setting up of I guess he's responsible for the setting up of the app and how all of that works and uh, you know we will see audience members uh, selfies on on the screens on stage at various points. Um, so this was really a delightful show and and a perfect um, summer show I might add. You know it's it's very amusing and very enjoyable and uh you know it, it, a, a few touching moments as well so i i do highly recommend it as did peter okay so uh, and on the strength of the felicia review uh between last week and this week <laughs> it has extended uh yes yeah that's uh, right through october I'm, 13th I'm, I'm totally responsible right yeah. <laughs> yeah you know uh there's been a lot of talk about the strength of the new york times review and whether it kills shows or not but that's a whole other conversation. Mm, isn't so. it? <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> okay, so Peter, you got over to New Jersey Rep down in Long Branch, New Jersey to see uh, Memoirs of a Forgotten Man. So tell us about this. Well, what I really want to talk about is this theater itself. Um, it's uh, over 20 years old now, and it was started by a couple that has been together since they were high schoolers. Um, Gabor... Um, and Suzanne Barabas. Now, the thing is that uh, Gabor was actually a refugee from Hungary who came during um, when the communists were uh, moving in and uh, came to this country and became a doctor, uh, really a part of the American dream, and um, and fell in love with uh, Suzanne, really, when they were children. And here they are still together. It's just so wonderful. And they started this theater after starting one in Cincinnati, in fact. Um, uh, he, his job uh, took him to New Jersey, and uh, so she started a theater there. It's only 67 seats, but they really only do new plays. There have been a couple of exceptions, but by and large, I would say like 98% of what they've done, and they do about six to eight shows a year, are all new plays. So playwrights pay attention to New Jersey Rep. Um, because they give phenomenal productions to uh, any script that they uh, believe in. And uh, it's a small space, needless to say, but um, the sets that they give these plays are really top-notch, and and the actors they get are really wonderful too. So now the one they're doing right now, 
Memoirs of a Forgotten Man actually deals with um, the communist regime. Uh, it's 1957, and um, a, a woman is called in for questioning about somebody she knew earlier. And needless to say, she's very nervous about being called in because in this society, you are definitely guilty, even after you proved innocent. Uh, they really don't believe um, anything good can happen uh, to anybody who um, who has these suspicions around them. And uh, they really go after you. And that's very, very, very well expressed by the... Um, by the performers in this uh, production of um, Memoirs of Forgotten Man, a play, by the way, by D.W. Gregory, who has become very well known from a play she wrote earlier called Radium Girls, which has been done in so many places here, there, and everywhere. And uh, it's really quite wonderful how she um, has really made a, a great impression with that. Okay, so Steve Brady um, portrays Kreplev, and he's the uh, guy who's asking all the questions. And um, he's out for every drop of um, blood from this guy named Alexei. Um, now, Alexei is a guy who um, has total recall. I mean, he's now even making a living um, being one of these people like in the 39 Steps. Um, what he does, he comes out after um, people have been asked to give a word from the audience. And there's like... 40 words on a blackboard and he looks at it for a tenth of a second turns around and he gives all the words um he's really good at that so um because he has such a good memory well what else does he remember what else does he know what else will he never forget and so they bring in this woman who worked with him as a psychologist and um she's natalia and she's wonderfully played by amy bermowitz now the thing about amy bermowitz is that she reminded me a great deal of madeline khan um she somewhat resembles her but she's very much sounds like her and it was sort of something after all these years to hear you should pardon the expression, Madeline Kahn in a new role and in a very serious role because Amy Bermowitz really gets the nervousness that this character has. So, um, so very, very effective there. Andrea Gallo, who's a mainstay down there at New Jersey Rep, um, is, is very good by playing the mother of um, Alexei. And she also has to double as a newspaper editor, um, a male newspaper editor. And you'd never know that she wasn't uh, a woman during that scene. It's a, a very effective um, situation there. Benjamin Satchel is Alexei, and um, he really has to show uh, that he's nonchalant when he's um, in, in any danger. He's very naive in uh, about the political situation. He doesn't understand that it's as bad as it is. While his brother, who's also played by Steve Brady in a doubling role, um, tries to convince him that you know you can't just say things that are on your mind here in, in the Soviet Union. It cannot be done. Uh, but he doesn't believe that. And we'll see that he pays for that as time goes on. So it's, um, it's a real chess match. Um, and watching uh, it unfold and watching what eventually happens is a terrific surprise, a real coup de théâtre uh, that occurs. And um, so this is a very worthy play. And it's part of the National New Play Network. And there is such a thing uh, that 
tries to get plays into theaters. There are about mm, 20, 25 member theaters around the country. And so while this is a new play to, to us, um, it was also done at that wonderful, wonderful festival in uh, West Virginia that um, happens in Shepherdstown each year, which I've been to, and it's a very effective um, one. So uh, the Contemporary American uh, Play Festival, I think it's called. So, um, but my main point about mentioning all this is really to give credit to uh, Gabor and Suzanne uh, for doing such phenomenal work, for being so devoted to new plays. And not only that, they have uh, now bought another building and um, they're going to uh, move into it um, in time. And the architect said, oh, well, we can build a 500-seat theater. It'll really be wonderful. And Suzanne said, no, no, I want a 150-seat theater because we're doing new plays. And I know we cannot sell 500 seats down here uh, with new plays because people are saying, what is that whenever we announce one of the titles? Because they're not doing On Golden Pond, although they did it once with Kim Hunter, um, who wanted to do it. So, um, But really, uh, what, what foresight of her to say? You know, it, it must have really been so tempting when the architects will build a 500-seat theater. You know, a lot of people have had stars in their eyes and said, oh, won't that be wonderful, and it'll show how much we've grown. And here she is essentially saying, no, double the space, um, but let's not make it too big because we're not going to be able to sell seats. <clears throat> so credit to Gabor, um, who's the executive producer, and by the way, who gives the best pre-show speeches I have ever heard in all the years that I've been going to the theater and hearing pre-show speeches. He is so witty and so funny and so terrific. While Suzanne is the artistic director, she's the one who chooses the plays and occasionally stages them. This one she didn't. James Glossman, who's an excellent director, really got the tension so wonderfully in here. So, as a result, I really recommend um, going down to Long Branch, which is not far from the ocean and a lot of nice uh, restaurants down there by the ocean. So uh, the area they're in, uh, you'd never know, was um, near the ocean. It doesn't really seem it. It's on Broadway, ironically enough, 179 Broadway in Long Branch. Um, and it's not that hard to get to um, by train. Uh, it's about maybe a 15-minute walk from the train station. So consider one of these days going down to see a new play at New Jersey Rep. And if you want to go now, you're not going to be disappointed by D.W. Gregory's Memoirs of a Forgotten Man. That's great. So uh, the Jersey coastline, in fact, the entire state of New Jersey has got some pretty amazing theater. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. As somebody who's spent 19 years reviewing it, I can tell you that's true. I'm going down to Bradley Beach next weekend. So actually, Long Branch is uh, just like four stops before that. Maybe I should get off. Maybe you should. <laughs> I hope you get off on the play. <laughs> All right. So, Michael, uh, yes. let's follow up on last week's discussion of the Drinkwater Brothers. Did you get over to the Birdland Theater to see them? I did on Tuesday the 20th, and it was a, just a great, great, great success. And they got um, – uh, if any one review could be a career-establishing review, they got it in, in Broadway World from a fellow named Stephen Mosher. Uh, do you guys know him? Yes, I do. Yeah. 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 I I only vaguely knew of him, but this I mean, honestly, aside from the fact that he loved the show so much, the review was so well written, uh, you know, just from a just from an 
an entertainment standpoint and and his writing style and, and all of that. So that was really great. And he um, made one of the points he made was that the show, uh, I guess it broke a lot of rules in the fact that there was really no through line whatsoever. And uh, as Steven said, he doesn't usually like that kind of show. But in this case, what it did was it it, it just highlighted the tremendous versatility of these brothers, Matt and John Drinkwater, in every conceivable type of music. I, I thought I would just read the song list in order, and you can imagine, <laughs> um, you know, what it was like for them to go uh, from from one of these genres to the next. They're, they opened with Rocky Raccoon, uh, the Lennon and McCartney song. Uh, then they did Lost in You, which is by Three Days Grace. Uh, then they did Fever, the old, the old Peggy Lee song, with... Um, their special guest Katie Drinkwater and that was just I mean I've heard Fever sung a lot by by women obviously I think I've even heard it sung by a few men over the years but they did it with uh, with Katie singing the lead and then the brothers both singing backup and it was just the the hottest thing <laughs> I've ever heard it was really really on fire um, the next song was be, uh, was me and Bobby McGee by Chris Christopherson uh, who I, <laughs> Chris Christopherson who I mentioned last week as a character in uh, Anna Christie but this is the singer songwriter named after that character and you know I, I tend to forget that he wrote me and Bobby McGee. I, I, everyone, I think, associates it so, so much with Janis Joplin. But Chris Christopherson wrote it. And, and again, we've been saying this a lot about many people lately. If that had been the only thing he ever did in his life, <laughs> that's a pretty major thing. I, that, that song is so iconic. And it's a really wonderful song. And the brothers did it spectacularly. Um, then they did Sympathy for the Devil, uh, Richie Haven's song Freedom. Uh, this was part of a little Woodstock tribute because, it, of course, this summer is the 50th anniversary. And then uh, then they went right into a solo of John Drinkwater singing Losing My Mind from Follies. And as the reviewer noted, it really was just incredible because he stood stock still. He did not move a muscle. And he actually smiled through really almost all of the song until the very end and when you think about what the lyric is and uh you know i i guess it was it kind of communicated that this person is still so in love with this other person that uh the the very thought of her uh in this case her um makes him smile even though the romance is ended and he's really devastated by the breakup. So that was kind of amazing. Uh, what next? They did a, uh, an original song called Happier, uh, the old song Hey Joe, Hold On Beautiful. Uh, then Matt Drinkwater did If I Didn't Believe in You from the last five years. Um, the next up was an old blues song, The Three O'Clock Blues. Then a song called Crazy, but not the Patsy Cline song. It, this was a song by a Gnarls Barkley um, duo. Uh, then the classic Stairway to Heaven, um, a, followed by a really excellent 
amazing original song that the Drinkwaters have written called Bird Song, which I think I, I you know, I, I, I think it might become really, really a pop hit. It's just incredible. Um, and then the uh, the finale was You're Nothing Without Me from City of Angels, which, as I mentioned, they had done uh, actually on August 5th. Uh, I think I gave the date wrong at Jim Caruso's cast party uh, with David Zippel, who wrote the lyrics in attendance. And that has become, I guess, a, a really big hit for. Uh, Matt and John Drinkwater, but I also wanted to mention it because I've been very remiss in somehow not mentioning that the fabulous music for the song is, of course, by the late great Cy Coleman, and um, that is, uh, I've actually been hearing um, some rumors of a City of Angels revival. Have either of you guys heard that? No, I haven't. I hear it every now and then, but uh, it's it, it just hasn't really materialized much to my... Uh, yeah. It, it makes me very upset because I'm dying to see City of Angels again. I love the show. I did yeah, too. I mean, obviously, it's if you, it's a show that it's not easy to do right um, because of all the tech, um, you know, and the costumes and the and the black and uh, white. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but but. Uh, but well, you know, I mean, and and what show haven't we heard is going to be revived? I mean, I guess mm-hmm. I guess we we hear it. But anyway, uh, maybe that will happen. Maybe not. But in the meantime, um, uh, the Drinkwaters are doing that song. It's just to hear to hear and see twins sing it, because as I'm sure many of our readers know, it's a story about a a, de- uh, a detective novel writer and his creation uh the person that he creates and they're sort of um in conflict with each other they have a kind of a love-hate relationship maybe you would call it um and that's what the song is you're nothing without me and it's just a great great song by Cy Coleman and David Zippel that really harkens back to um you know it has very much a uh, a, a jazzy old old style feel uh, Cy Coleman famously could write in any genre of music and, and make it sound entirely Broadway, but also, you know, sometimes jazz, sometimes operetta, you know, sometimes musical comedy. He, he just really was one of the absolute, absolute greats. And uh, I always love it when anyone does one of his songs because they're all winners, I think. You know, um, <clears throat> a lot of shows we could really say if somebody else did the score, um, it'd mm. be fine. But um, I don't think there was anybody who was working on Broadway at the time, or even some decades before and some decades after, who was as right for City of Angels than Cy Coleman, who, after all, had a tremendous jazz background before he even attempted to write for the theater. So uh, we right. were very lucky. Uh, and uh, very, very lucky that Larry Gelbart and he uh, and David Zippel collaborated. Um, and it, for a Broadway debut, uh, <laughs> David Zippel's lyrics uh, certainly rank among the absolute best for a debut and probably the absolute best period. Yes, and the fact that you know they, those two found each other. I mean, Cy had written with many wonderful lyricists over the years, including uh, several women uh he was always more very often not more often than not yes he yeah. he was he was um i i did i tell you i asked him that once <laughs> i i said said like what well, did did you like purposely try to seek out women uh and he said you know that basically that it would always came down to just talent 
Well, he certainly uh, worked with talented lyricists, no question about that. Um, I do recall doing a, an event at Barnes & Noble where I referred to um, him uh, as an equal opportunity. Um, <laughs> um, and I don't remember the word I used, but I remember Lynn Aaron saying an equal opportunity collaborator. Um, it's interesting. I can remember her word, but I can't remember mine. But she definitely um, said it better than I had said it. So uh, he was indeed um, an equal opportunity. But uh, it's amazing when you look at that output, how often it really was a case that he was working with women, uh, even down to a show called Home Again, Home Again, which never made it in with a woman named Barbara Freed. Yes. And of course, even 20th century had half lyrics by a woman, that being right. Comden, you know, and Will Rogers Follies, too. So, I mean, uh, it's really great that uh, that he was um, somebody who entertained that notion where I I don't know if any major composer of that era said, no, I'm not working with a woman. I, that seems unlikely to me, granted. But uh, but still, the proof is in the pudding. And Cy Coleman said yes to Dorothy Fields and, <clears throat> and Carolyn Lee, at least for a while, and so many others. And all of this is in Andy Probst's wonderful uh, bio of Cy called You Fascinate Me. So, And he did. <laughs> so uh, I, I think about different shows that brothers could be in and of course blood brothers comes to mind blood brother mm -hmm. except but you know what it they uh that has been mentioned but i guess they couldn't do it because they are identical twins and it would kind of ah uh, yeah wreck, yeah, yeah, wreck yeah. the story yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah there's that okay yeah but, but mm -hmm. they might be able to because actually when they cut their hair differently uh john and matt they they can look quite different and and actually I, I may have mentioned this the very first time i saw them was in a production of titanic at wagner college and matt played uh the stoker but uh john played i can't remember it's the uh, the don stevenson role um i don't remember that character's name uh but he uh, <laughs> in order that they wouldn't look like twins, he dyed his hair blonde. <laughs> mm. uh, so they will go to those six, uh, uh, lengths if they have to. <laughs> so uh, that is the uh, uh, the Drinkwater Brothers at Birdland Theater, which was a one-night-only event. Uh, I have the link from Stephen Mosher in the show notes. Oh, great. If you want to take a look at that. And I'll also link to Andy Prope's book, which everybody should read. Yes. So, all right. Uh, Peter, you got over to 42nd Street to the Duke to see Native Son, a presentation of the acting company. So uh, tell us about this. Oh, this was very effective. Now, first off... Um I don't know if it was coincidental, but this happens to be the 80th anniversary of Richard Wright's writing Native Son, the novel, which was a, a, a very significant novel uh, because it, it, it dealt with uh, the African-American experience back then. And this play uh, allows us to see if indeed there has been much or any progress and uh, people have different opinions about what that means. But anyway, Nambi, N-A-M-B-I-E Kelly, with an e, an e before the Y, was uh, was the playwright on this. Um, this is not the same play that was done in the 40s on Broadway, uh, which was um, very much discussed at the time, too. But uh, we follow the adventures of a, a gentleman named Bigger Thomas. That's his name, Bigger. And um, the thing is that uh, right away, 
he knows he's going to get himself in trouble because he happens to be on the street and here's this very drunk woman uh, who is uh, reeling around. Now, it turns out that um, Bigger uh, knows this woman and he takes her home um, out of concern that she's going to hurt herself. And because she's dead drunk, she's also very lusty and she uh, wants to have sex with him. And this is the first mistake he makes by uh, deciding that, all right, here it is. Um, she wants it. Um, I'm, I'm going to do it. And this is a very controversial thing here that's been discussed many, many times over the year, that um, if he said no, 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 um, his life would have turned out tremendously differently. But he didn't. And as a result, um, he runs the risk of being caught. And when he thinks he's going to be caught... He does something that he shouldn't have done. I mean, he exacerbates one mistake after the other. Uh, But the real reason it happens is because he's afraid that if indeed he is caught with this woman and saying, I only took her home because I was concerned for her because she was dead drunk and I knew she was going to hurt herself, that nobody will believe a black man under these circumstances. And yet Richard Wright was very fair in showing that uh, Bigger has this big flaw here. In, in certainly um, taking advantage, so to speak, of a woman who really isn't in her senses. So we're not making him out to be a plaster saint or anything like that. So um, <sighs> tremendously done uh, production, really wonderful, wonderful beyond belief. And I really have to uh, commend Surette Scott. And now, Surette Scott is somebody we have known in a number of different guises, um, certainly we have seen her mostly as a performer. Uh, she was really quite wonderful uh, going back to uh, the 70s when um, I remember seeing her in Slave Ship back then. But here she is directing, and she has done a phenomenal job of getting the um, <laughs> the, the drama uh, where it, you're, you're almost choked with how um, effective the uh, tension is in this play. But also we have to uh, give credit to Galen Ryan Kane, who plays Bigger Thomas. Uh, Very, very effective uh, performance. So um, I'm sorry that um, I got to it so late because this is another example of a show that um, is closing today. It was done in rep with Measure for Measure. This is the acting company doing a, a, a wonderful job. It's so wonderful the acting company is still with us. You may recall that this was a company that was set up from Juilliard because uh, the graduates loved performing with each other so much. They said, let's keep going. Let's start a company. And so that's really um, – and that was in the 70s. And here we are virtually 50 years later and the acting company still exists. So that's really quite wonderful. And uh, this is a very, very effective production. I hope that somebody will move it to off-Broadway commercially. I know it's <clears throat> a dicey proposition because it is quite the serious play. But the fact that it really looks at the African-American experience both from the best point of view and not so good point of view uh, makes it something that you really believe because we're not just – you should pardon the expression whitewashing uh, here. Um, people have to take responsibility for their actions. And Bigger Thomas makes some big mistakes along the way. But see if you don't feel for him when you know that it really wasn't his fault in the first place. You know, I clearly remember we read Richard Wright 
uh, when I was in junior high school. Wow. Uh, he was on the reading list. But oddly enough, um, the book that that we were assigned was was not Native Son, but a, another novel of his, uh, not a novel, excuse me, nonfiction, called Black Boy. Uh, Native Son was 1941 and Black Boy was 1945. And I think that led me to Native Son. But, ah. uh, but at any rate, my point is that he was... On the reading list, uh, you know, at a junior high school on Staten Island, that's in the, amazing. In the in the late sixties, early seventies. I'm, I'm I'm really impressed. I mean, God knows where I went to <laughs> junior high and high school. There wouldn't have been a scintilla of a chance <laughs> that uh, he would have um, had um, been on the reading list. So that's really great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that is Native Son at the Duke on Forty Second Street. Unfortunately. It also is closed, yeah. and we're at that moment in time between the summer season and the fall season uh, on and off Broadway. Let's uh, talk a little bit about what we can expect this fall. Uh, I'm going to go through the fall openings and uh, jump in here and uh, let me know if you have any comments or thoughts about the various uh, shows that are coming up. So they think the first thing of the fall is going to be the height of the storm at the Freedman in September 24th. Well, that'll, uh, that's probably the uh, one that we're going to see. Um, the, the first that hasn't opened yet because betrayal is currently doing previews and mm -hmm. uh, will open pretty soon. And that's the Harold Pinter play that uh, has uh, this, I think is the second revival, isn't it? Um, which is pretty impressive. And, um, but yes, um, we're looking forward to the height of the storm because of course it has two very high powered people in it. Uh, that being Eileen Atkins and Jonathan Price. It's so wonderful Eileen Atkins is still with us because I know that she had health problems some years ago and we thought that that was it for her. We would never see her on stage again. But here she is, so it's really quite nice that's going to happen. Oh, Peter, I'm not sure I knew that. Thank you for mentioning that. Well, yeah. I don't know if I should yeah. be thanked, but... Um, well, anyway. I mean, yeah, I mean, just yeah. From, my, from my point of view because yeah. I don't, didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm going to point out how much I hate IBDB, the new design of IBDB, because ah. I missed Betray. How can uh, I miss betrayal? Uh, 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 I just uh, uh, so much uh, money, so poorly uh, implemented. <laughs> please, please, Broadway League, fix IBDB or unfix it. Cause you yeah. fixed, we could sing that song yeah. from Lil Labner, put it back the way it was. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> we have a three-person picket in front of the Broadway League offices. There we I are. think we'll be alone. So, Betrayal. We miss Betrayal at the Jacobs. So, uh, certainly, as Peter mentioned, that that is opening up uh, September 5th, I guess, uh, a, a little bit more than a week away from now. Uh, I'm already hearing good things yeah. uh, for for what it's that uh, I'm hearing very good things, and I thought, well, you know, it hasn't been that long. Do we need to see it again? But I, you know, <laughs> mm. but there are always new audiences, and exactly. certainly the cast is, exactly. is excellent, and it's always a really great, great play. And so there's, you know, I'm just fine, fine, fine with me. Then we have uh, Darren Brown's Secret that's uh, opening up September 15th. Uh, a little magic show in there. Uh, the, uh, the new one, the announcement this week of the Great Society at the Beaumont 
uh, I, I, it, it, it has train wreck written all over it, except for just an amazing creative team and cast. I mean, <laughs> what, what uh, do we think uh, about the press release that we saw in The Great Society this week? Um, I don't know what you mean by train wreck. Obviously, I missed something that you saw. Well, I, I just – when they explain the subject matter, the subject matter of, of what the show is, uh, it, why don't it just – Why don't you tell us what that is, James? Uh, uh, let me pull up the press release. Hold on yeah. one second. All right. So I found the uh, Great Society press release, and it is not what I was thinking it was. It's uh, Of course, this is about LBJ. And yeah. the other thing – we had a press release about – LSD happening at the Beaumont later with uh, Tom <laughs> Kitt and uh, a few other people. And and I was like, and I got the two confused. But of course, uh, so we got the press release here. Is the producers announced final casting in the opening night for Tony Ward and Paula Pulitzer Prize winning playwright Robert Shankin's The Great Society, his new playwright celebrating Linda B. Johnson's legacy directed by Bill Rausch. The Great Society continues the journey begun with All the Way. So that sounds like that's going to be very interesting. The other one, maybe we'll come, I guess maybe it's, Michael, is that the other one in the spring? Or what's the the one I'm thinking about? Flying Over Sunset. Flying over sunset. That's, this is the one that's going to be done at uh, Beaumont, Lincoln Center Theater. Uh, the musical Flying Over Sunset imagines encounters with the drug LSD by Aldous Huxley, the English intellectual who wrote Brave New World, Claire Booth Luce, the American playwright who became a congresswoman and an ambassador, and the actor Cary Grant. <laughs> In the show's first act, they try LSD separately – which really happened, while in the second act, they use it together, which they did not. <laughs> so that is the one that I thought sounded like a train Well, wreck. I can understand why you, uh, why you were confused, because uh, both of them are playing the Beaumont. Yes. Uh, so, uh, so that's uh, at least one reason. For me. Oh, one after, just one after the other? Yeah, yeah. Um, ironically enough, uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily see this as a train wreck, certainly because um, – a lot of talented people are involved with it, but you know, musicals are about big characters and big events, and certainly those are big characters. And LSD can indeed uh, provide big events. So, so I think it has great potential, and uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. I wish it were coming sooner rather than later. Yeah, this well, looks like it's in the March of March of 2020. So it's the next show after the Great Society in in the I, Beaumont. I hope I live that long. Yeah, oh, so. don't say that. <laughs> no, you know. That to say, I, I'm not looking forward to it because James Lapine is the main architect. I was trying to avoid that. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to avoid but, saying uh, that. but Tom Kidd, Michael Corey, you know. Yeah, yeah no, really. absolutely. Michael Corey is amazingly talented, and certainly, um, if it weren't for James Lapine, we wouldn't have Sunday in the Park with George because he was the one who really spurred that project and right. got Sondheim interested in it. And uh, so, you know, uh, we can all, you know, as Shakespeare said about the devil, you can cite the devil, um, the devil can cite scripture to serve his purpose. Um, you know, we can all look at people's flops and define them by the flops. Oh, we can define them by the hits, and the answer is somewhere in between. All right. Uh, so after Great Society, the next one is Freestyle Love Supreme, which is uh, I, more, uh, as far as what I'm understanding, not a book show. Right. It's right. kind of uh, 
Uh, poetry d- jam. Yeah. And it's the um, thought child of Lin-Manuel Miranda and his mm-hmm. crew uh, at the Booth Theater on the 2nd. Uh, next followed up by Slave Play, which played down at New York Theater Workshop. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be at the Golden in October. Then we have Linda Vista at the Hayes, which is – is that a second stage production or is that a – Yeah, uh, it is. It is. not a rental. It's a second stage production. And was that a transfer or uh, – Yes. Yeah. I think that I – Well, I mean, I mean the play has been done before. We, we I'm not sure if it's the same production. Do you know, Peter? No, but um, if it's playing the Hayes, therefore – what the Constitution means to me is leaving, moving, what? I think I it's mean, closed. I think yeah, that was, the Constitution yeah. closed this this week or But something. that's so bizarre because it was doing such good business. Uh, she is... She's going on tour, right? She's going... Uh, well, there is a tour, but they're going to recast that role. I think that she's got other things going on. Uh, let me see. Constitution is closed right now. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Uh, let me just confirm that before, because I'm getting everything wrong these days. Yeah, it's uh, not on the new and improved IBDB website. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but it is going to go out on tour, and they're going to cast somebody else in that role. We were talking on today on Broadway. Uh, I was talking somewhere about who we thought uh, uh, Rachel Bay Jones possibly we'd like to see in that role or uh, in the Heidi Heidi. That's Shrek a good role, idea. That's know? a very good idea. Uh, and I'm That's not sure good. if it's because they look very physically similar or if they have that same sort of ethereal feel to them. Mm. I think mm-hmm. both of those things. Uh, uh, but of course, I'm just guessing there. I have no information and who knows if, you know, Rachel would even be interested in doing that sure, or sure, would, sure. you know, the producers but she does, yeah. she does sound like excellent casting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So next up after, uh, Linda Vista is the Rose Tattoo at the American Airlines theater roundabout production. Um, Marissa we, Tomei. she has yeah. her work cut out for her. Uh, I wish her well, but I consider Anna Magnani's performance in the movie of the Rose Tattoo one of the greatest ever, ever. Um, it's right up there with Vivian Lee and Streetcar Named Desire. And what's, of course, interesting is that both of those were written by the same playwright, Tennessee Williams. So um, I, I do think Serafina is quite a role. And um, I, I, I'm, <laughs> all I can do is wish Marissa Tomei luck. Hmm. And then uh, last week's uh, announcement of The Lightning Thief uh, was off-Broadway, went out on a very successful tour, is making a stop at the Long Acre on October 16th for, I think, six or eight weeks or something along those lines. Uh, did you guys both see The Lightning Thief off-Broadway? I never have. I was supposed to, and I forget what happened at the last minute. I couldn't go. So I, I did. It. I did, and I absolutely adored it. I was so happy to hear uh, it's coming in. But at the same time, I wonder if – I mean it seemed like such a small show uh, when I saw it at the Lortel in a, in a wonderful way, in an intimate, wonderful way. But I don't know if they – you know, if they were going to feel they have to pump it up in any way in terms of sets and production values. Also, the cast is, is you know, is quite small for Broadway. Um, so I, I hope it doesn't lose anything. I forget. What theater is it? 
Long Anchor. Long game. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, so that's not you know that's not so bad. And this uh, has been touring. I'm not sure the size of the house. Oh, that's that. a good it's point. It's been touring yeah. in, uh, and that's my good. understanding is they're bringing the cast and the sets and everything. It's just a tour stop on Broadway. Uh, so, uh, you know, maybe they have a, a, an idea of how to make that work because some of those touring houses are just, you know, ginormous. Sure. Right. Uh, I'm, I was very happy to read that Chris McCarroll uh, will be continuing in the in the title role because he was just delightful when I saw it at the Lortel. Uh, we are not, unfortunately, going to get George Salazar because yeah. uh, he's busy uh, elsewhere. Uh, but uh, I'm sure that the person they get to replace him will be wonderful. And the... Uh, it really was. It was. It was just. I loved it. I also. Mm. Uh, you know. I mean. It's. There's been an argument. Uh, you know. As to where is it a children's show, um, whatever that means. So I guess that there'll be a, a debate on that when it opens. But whatever it is, I just. I just found it delightful. Uh, next up, we have the sound inside at Studio Fifty Four. So um, it's nice that Adam Rapp is getting a Broadway shot yeah. and certainly having Mary Louise Parker in the play as well is uh, certainly a bonus. Uh, Will Hawkman, uh, who hasn't had um, he was just starting out and, uh, and will have his first real chance to have a, a terrific role here. And um, we'll see. But um, I, I think it's a two person show, I think, um, because there are only two people listed on um, IBDB, but the thing is, you know, sometimes they only list the people who are cast um, when the show is um, readying itself. So who knows? As, as it says here, pre-opening information subject to change. So, so who knows? Hmm. Now, one interesting thing about that is I'm sure um, you both remember that some time ago, I'm looking back, apparently it was 2011, Charles Isherwood uh, wrote a, a big article about why he had stopped reviewing Adam Rapp's shows. Uh, he just had decided that, that he was not the playwright for him and he didn't feel he needed to keep <laughs> you know, writing negative reviews about his plays. But now, of course, um, Charles Isherwood is no longer at the Times. Uh, I think he's writing elsewhere. Um, but Adam Rapp is, is <laughs> finally going to be on Broadway. So um, we'll see what happens in terms of that reception of that play. Hmm. Uh, next up, we have American Utopia going to be playing at the Hudson on October 20th. Then we have uh, Tina, the Tina Turner musical, going to be a playing at the Lundfontein. Uh Big hit in London. And um, somebody I know saw it and said, <laughs> well, uh, you know, it's a jukebox musical, but and uh, many of us are skeptical of those shows. But um, I'm told that it's a darker show than you might expect. And for those of us who saw the movie about um, Tina and Ike, um, what's love got to do with it? Is that what it was called? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was. It was pretty dark to begin with, but supposedly from this one person I spoke to, uh, this one's even darker. So um, this may be a more powerful, wrenching uh, event than we might um, be led to believe. You know, um, as compared to uh, ain't ain't too proud, which um, the difficulties of one guy is um, difficult uh, and they want him out of the group. That's um, duck soup compared to what went on in Tina Turner and uh, Ike Turner's lives. So we shall see what we shall see. You know, Tina Tina has a a book by Katori Hall and directed by Philidda Lloyd. Um, And it's produced in association with Tina Turner. So uh, it it seems as though that Katori and Philidda Lloyd, I don't think that they're going to be, you know, involved in a 
in a vanity project, you know, but we'll have to see. Well, I don't think they're going to be involved in a vanity project, but I'm afraid for me, again, the red flag on this one is Felita Lloyd because it is, you know, she did do Mamma Mia and the less said about that, the better. But, uh, you know, but uh, but I do want to stress that we really, really do have to keep open minds uh, regardless of, of how we, you know, and, and there have been many times uh, when I have been pleasantly surprised uh, by, you know, someone that I previously did not did not respect but sometimes it just clicks and it works for you and and of course it happens the other way also so <laughs> it's just um it's just really important to keep an open mind on that and it's good to get the Lanfontaine back uh yeah. as, a, yeah. as, a, as, a, as an actual venue yeah. uh, you know yeah. since summer the Donna Summer musical it's had Morrissey Pure Yanni Mel Brooks Regina Spector Chris Angel Dave Chappelle Manilow on Broadway. This is all in the yeah. course of eight months or something yeah. along those lines. Yeah, so we don't, good we to don't have back. to get used to that, you know, so uh, we don't have to get used to that at all. All right. Uh, I th- don't know if we talked about this on air or off air, but Slava Schnur show is coming to the Stephen Sondheim Theater November 13th <laughs> for a few weeks. Uh, that's just, that's new end. info. And uh, I just, I don't know, something about that tickled me when I read that it was going to be at the Sondheim. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, something else is about to be announced at the Sondheim, but I keep thinking the announcement's coming up, but they keep pushing the announcement back, but... We can't say anything until they announce it, but something really good is coming to the sun time. Something's coming. All right. The Inheritance <laughs> is going to play at the Ethel Barrymore Theater on November 17th. Uh, then we This will... is supposed to be the event of the season. Um, coming in from London. Uh, yeah, two one, parts. One the um, yeah, I missed it by a week when I uh, went to London, um, so I don't have an opinion on it. But boy, everybody I know who saw it there was tremendously impressed by it. So this is, and we're getting Lois Smith, mm. who, from yeah. what I have, well, from what I have read, is apparently absolutely perfect for the part. Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of people would have preferred to have seen Vanessa Redgrave because it's been a while since we've seen her. But certainly, certainly Lois Smith uh, is worth seeing in anything and everything. Have you ever seen her given anything less than an A-plus performance? I certainly haven't. Nope. Then we have... uh, uh... A Christmas Carol coming to the Lyceum. Um, I'm not sure if it's a straight Dickens or is it an ad- adaptation. Do you know anything about this? It, a- it apparently is. Uh, it has music of the period and you know, like fa- like well-known Christmas carols in it. Uh-huh. Uh, previously, you know, existing, uh, if I understand correctly, and a lot of that apparently. But it's a play with music, I guess you would call it. And then we have uh, the Illusionists, Magic of the Holidays. The Illusionists sure. making their trek back to Broadway as though it's become a uh, a bird flying to the north in the winter. So, <laughs> and uh, finally, the last show before uh, to to round out the end of the fall season is uh, Jagged Little Pill coming to the Broadhurst, uh, and which uh, all my friends in Boston told me was terrific. Yeah. It's got very good word of mouth, and uh, it's just about to start rehearsal here in New York. So, uh, and that's our you know, fall preview as far as we know it right now. I don't think that there's going to be anything announced. As I think Matt Temanini's, uh 
uh, real estate worksheet for the Broadway theaters is mm. pretty much locked down for the fall. I don't think that anything else is going to be an- announced in there, but... You know. But one of the most exciting things coming up soon, I, I would say, is Off-Broadway, and that's Little Shop of Horrors. Little Shop, we we chatted briefly about it last week, and we had uh, – did we talk about the the Groff replacement, or was that this week? No. Uh, no, that was before, yeah. So uh, who's coming in for Groff? It's uh, – what's Gideon his name? Gideon Glick. Gideon yeah. Glick. Gideon uh, Glick from uh, – Who plays Dylan to Kill a Mockingbird. Mockingbird. So Gideon is coming into Coverwell. Groff is out for two weeks doing frozen promos around the nation. Uh, so Gideon Glick is coming in. Uh, and still we haven't heard anything about uh, a further extension of the show at the West Side Theater and the tiny West Side Theater, hard to get tickets and not a peep out of the press reps yet, um, <laughs> you know, whether they're going to invite reviewers or not. So uh, if you're a reviewer, you might want to get out and see if you can snatch a single uh, for this <laughs> for this thing or else you're going to miss it. So that is kind of our fall preview there. So uh, we'd love to hear from the listeners if you have something to say about any of these shows in the fall preview or anything that we're talking about. So before we get on to trivia, I would like to tell everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayradio.com. There's a subscribe link that we each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to Apple Podcasts. You can listen to us in many ways. Our Heart Radio plays us too in Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to find our podcast, you're going to be able to find Broadway Radio. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today, uh, including um, the great story about New Jersey rep. So, um, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia? The question was, when an established music theater classic was revived this century, a new song was added to its score. The song has the same name of a film biography of two musical theater greats. What's the name of both? And the answer is Topsy-Turvy, because Topsy-Turvy was added to Fiddler on the Roof in the revival that started Alfred Molina. And Topsy-Turvy was the name of the movie about Gilbert and Sullivan that was much acclaimed uh, some years ago. So Tony Janicki, who got by with a, without a little help from his boyfriend, Royal Fulton, this week, uh, got it. <laughs> Uh, followed by Doug Strassler and Jack Lesnar, Brigadude, and oh, that was it. Okay, yes. Um, <clears throat> this week's for both of them, it was their second Broadway show. They didn't have great roles, for they pretty much functioned as backup singers to the stars. Some years later, one of these former backup singers landed a part in a high-profile revival before deciding not to do it. The replacement was the other former backup singer who eventually had to be very glad that things turned out the way they did. Who are the people and the shows involved? <laughs> All right. So if you have an answer to that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and, and uh, Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radios this week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Your mixtape is what I know about home. In my bedroom, mixtape. Mixtape. Yo.
Now music is so disposable. I wanna feel close to you. Okay, I'm gonna great escape. I'm gonna give you my favorite mixtape. I will pick every song and I will string you along so you know how I feel about you. Yeah, oh man, I'ma give it good and plenty. I don't need the 60, I need the 120 from that Max Out cassette. And oh, please believe it. I started up tempo so we can achieve it. And I wanna start by having you feeling fine. So I'll pick something like I'm walking on sunshine. But yo, then I bring it down cause I'm feeling kinda blue. I put Joni Mitchell. A case of you, yeah, and oh, I'll never be wrong because Lauren Hill is killing you softly with her song. Oh, are you getting the message? I'm trying to tell you I like you. Oh, please tell me you get it. This is the way we used to tell each other how we feel, but no one has a cassette anymore. Let's be real, no one has cassette players, but how am I supposed to say it? Because you can pick a CD list, but anybody can do that. No, I want to give you something personal and great. I'm home. Cause I gave you this mixtape. 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 It's got a flow to it. It's got a flow to it. Yeah. 